Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2309 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the 10th in a 10-week message series covering the characters of Christmas. This message is titled, The Oldest Bucket List. Simeon and Anna. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Thank you for being here, as I said. I do appreciate fellowshipping each week with the believers here at Putnam. Now, last week, we had a blessed Christmas Eve service. A lot of people here, a lot of people participating. It was such a blessing to me. And as we looked at God's word last week, we looked at the misfits of Christmas with Tamar, Bathsheba, Rahab, and Ruth. And we came to understanding that in Christ, we're all designed and designated to bring others to the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this week, we're going to reflect back just a little bit on 2023 and then look forward with hope and anticipation to 2024, what will it bring for us? None of us knows for sure. But we'll look at today the lives of two devout people who have been waiting all their lives for the coming of the Messiah in a message titled, The Oldest Bucket List, Simeon and Anna. And today's passage is Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. If you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 1591 and 1592. I'll start with verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required of the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male must be consecrated to the Lord and to make an offer a sacrifice, keeping up with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child of Jesus to do what for him, what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelations to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and the mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that he will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
Don't we all have hopes and aspirations in life? Things that we want to accomplish, no matter what our age, whether you're old or young. One such story is about a man. At the tender age of 90, the late G President George H.W. Bush strapped himself to Sergeant First Class Mike Elliott, a member of the Army's Golden Knights Parachute Team, and he jumped out of an airplane near his home in Kettabungport, Maine. You see, Bush wasn't unfamiliar with planes. He was a World War II fighter pilot. But he was fulfilling a series of promises he made to himself, and one of those was he vowed to himself to go skydiving when he was in his 90s. This jump was made just a little bit easier because he had prepared for it. After all, you might say he was a veteran skydiver taking the leap at ages 80 and 85 also. Now, I don't know that too many of us are dreaming about falling out of an airplane at some sort of ridiculously high altitude, although some people within the church have jumped out of the airplanes before. But if I asked you, what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What would you like to see fulfilled with the remaining time that you have on Earth? I know that I have a very long list of things that I would still like to accomplish, if God permits, and Christ does not return to set up his global Eden. And with the advancements in medical technologies today, it's not out of the realm of possibility of living to 120 or even more. And you think, approaching retirement age, that it's time to slow down. But what if God gave me another 40 or 50 years to live, 60 years? What can I do in those years? And that's what we need to ask ourselves, whether we're 10, 50, 75, or 99, like Betty Ford. The question is, how will our lives impact the kingdom of God over the next several years or decades even? Like President Bush, we all have some sort of bucket list of things we'd like to accomplish while we're still here on Earth. And ever since that 2007 movie starring Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholas, the idea of having high-valued experiences to complete before we kick the bucket or pass away has become sort of our cultural lingo. What is on your bucket list? And I have to admit, my list has changed somewhat over the years and is now much more focused on what significance can I bring to those that are within my world that I impact as opposed to how much worldly success can I achieve in my life? You see, in the first century, they didn't call it a bucket list, and they didn't have Morgan Freeman to narrate those hijinks that they participated in, but the same poignant desires that they had, that we have, inspired dreams of those days in that first century in the human hearts. And this is the Christmas story that Luke records, the longing of two otherwise ordinary people. If you look at your bulletin insert today, on the side it says, Simeon and Anna waited for the Lord. We want to look at four different points today. First is, we want to look at a common ceremony. Because Simeon and Anna, up to this point in Scripture, and never mentioned again afterwards, made their cameo appearance at an otherwise common 
Jewish purification ritual. Now today on our Christmases, Mary and Joseph get the spotlights, and rightly so. They appear in our nativity sets and our Christmas cards. But in that first century, Luke peels back the curtain on an otherwise ordinary day. Every day, mothers and fathers would bring their firstborn son into the temple to conduct those purification rites. They followed the Jewish law. Eight days after Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple to be circumcised. And then 33 days after that, or on the 40th day, Mary and Joseph were back at that temple for the purification ceremony. The presentation of their child, their oldest son, was given to the Lord for his service. But here's where the moment changes from anything but ordinary, because that baby, after all, was the Son of God, the one who breathed out creation, who sculpted Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground. He was the one who breathed into his own parents the breath of life that they had. Jesus was publicly identifying with his people, Israel. He submitted to that circumcision and Jesus perfectly submitting to that law, that purification rites. He would be perfectly fulfilling that law, that spotless one, identifying with those who were impure. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, and all true believers may one day become pure. Mary and Joseph carried with them two turtle doves, or they were just common pigeons. It was part of the sacrificial offering they were to present as they went through this ritual. There is, of course, a deep irony here. Though they carried the Lamb of God in their arms, they were too poor to purchase a lamb for this sacrifice, so they had to settle for two pigeons. It reminds us of the type of people that God comes and chose to dwell with. The kingdom of Christ breaks in, not in the palaces or the private estates of the powerful, but a common, about, among the common, the meek, the kind of people who had to dig deep into their satchel to find a few shekels just to pay for a couple pigeons for the sacrifice. And the baby they held so tightly in their arms would one day become that perfect sacrifice for the sin that these slain animals were symbolizing. The Lamb of God, which was to be slain for the sins of the world. And it brings us to our next point. He came to those who were ready. But here's the thing. Nobody in that temple that day was looking necessarily for the Christ child. Nobody was seeking a savior. They were going about their business of the rituals that they carried on every day. Nobody expected on this day of all days that this would be a, a moment that was written for all eternity by Dr. Luke and preserved in scripture as we read today. Because there was a heaviness in Jerusalem that day, as with most days. It had been centuries since God had spoken directly to his people. And every time the Jewish people marched up to the temple, that temple mount, there flew on that mount the Roman flag signifying that they were living in an occupied land 
as occupied people. They had to see that Roman flag every day flying high above that temple. It was a visual slap in the face reminding them of the lost glory of Israel. They were once a mighty nation, and now they were an occupied people. Yes, over the centuries, those silent years, would-be messiahs had come and gone, but now they were ruled by men like Herod, whose corruption and ascension to power and his ruthless leadership further caused disillusionment among the ordinary Jews. None of them realized that the solution to the corruption in Rome, that the misconduct in Herod's palace and the sin of their own hearts, the solution for that was resting in a carpenter's arms just a few feet from them. Even the religious elites in the temples, those scribes, those Pharisees, those teachers of the law who poured over the ancient books and prided themselves in knowing every arcane point of theology, they were oblivious that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was in their presence that day. But among the crowds, not necessarily among the other waiting parents who were there to do the purification rites with Mary and Joseph, not among the religious leaders, but there was a mysterious old man and a mysterious old woman, unlike their peers and the cynics of the day, as we have cynics in our day, the religious leaders, Anna and Simeon held on to an impossible dream, impossible wish. It was their bucket list to see the Messiah while they were still alive. And it was grounded in a radical faith that the scriptures promise of the coming Messiah. And they kept asking themselves every day, would God appear in the flesh in our day? Many miss the signs of that season, that very first Christmas, the prophecies, the star. Though many dismiss the frenzy tales of the shepherds who ran through Bethlehem saying, the Messiah has come, the Messiah has come. Even the authorities who were ignored the searching of those mystics from the east. But Anna and Simeon waited and believed because they had studied the scriptures and they had studied the prophecies. But more than that, they listened to the voice of God's spirit. Which takes us to the point, who is Simeon? Who is this character that appears from the shadows into the gospel story? Never mentioned before or after this. Interestingly, we don't know much about Simeon at all, even 2,000 years later. Luke wrote an eyewitness account, and when he wrote, he was meticulous. He was a doctor. He made sure the details were right. But he thought the only thing that mattered about Simeon's bio was written in verse 25, that Simeon was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. We don't know anything about Simeon's family. We don't know where his town that he was born in. We don't know for sure whether his occupation, we think he might have been one of the priests or serving in the temple, but we don't know for sure. All the markers that we use to describe ourselves, I'm from Marietta, I work at this occupation that we have for ourselves and those that we befriend, we're gone. They're not listed here. The only thing that mattered to Dr. Luke was Simeon was a faithful follower of Yahweh who, 
unlike those around him, still believed that God could work to save his people. Yet Simeon believed in the promise of a coming servant king, the son of David, which was threaded throughout the law and the prophets. He may not have understood everything he read, but he knew enough to believe, and that's all is required for us. So know enough to believe. Simeon knew sufficient information to listen to the Holy Spirit's whisper and be more in tune with God than the scholars who were paid to study the scriptures and the scribes who were paid to teach the scriptures. Imagine the scene in the temple that day. That old man stooped in gray, hobbling into the temple once again, whether he served in the temple or were just a one that came in and out of the temple on a daily basis. The other religious people there, maybe even his peers, probably thought he was a bit eccentric. They'd make jokes behind his back. Hey, there's old Simeon. He thinks the Lord's coming again today. And every day, Simeon would scan the crowd of those parents with their babies, and they'd ask the Lord, is this baby the one? And the Lord would say, no, Simeon, that's not the one. And then finally, one day, the Spirit of God whispers these words into Simeon's heart. This is the day. This is the one. You will meet the Son of God. Perhaps Simeon was reminded of Israel's last great king that was chosen. There was a similarly aging man, a man of God, a man of faith, named Samuel. As he approached Jesse's lineup of his six young sons who were strapping soldiers in King Saul's armies. And as each one was proceeded before him, he'd ask the Lord, is this the next king of Israel? And the Spirit each time answered Samuel, no, that is not the one. And he asked Jesse, is there, are there any others? And he said, well, there's that ruddy old David out in Shepherd's Field. He's just a kid. He says, get him. So that unlikely shepherd boy, summoned from that shepherd field smelling like sheep. And as he enters the tent, the Spirit of God whispers to Samuel, yes, this is the next king of Israel. Imagine how Simeon's heart must have leaped within him as he goes to marry Joseph. He says, can I hold the child? He asks with the baby in his arms. Simeon carries this frail, newborn baby whose arms would one day be the salvation of sin for the world. He looks into that baby's eyes, that tiny Savior, the same Jesus who holds the universe in his power. And what wells up in Simeon's hearts were the words that he'd been preparing to share his entire life. The prayer that he had memorized and sung and framed on caverns and cathedrals throughout the history of the church. And that's the words that he spoke. He 
He said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light revealed God to the nations. He is the glory of your people Israel. And he handed the baby back to Mary and Joseph. And he must have thought to himself, I can die now. I've seen your salvation. Because this for Simeon was no ordinary baby. He would not be only Simeon's salvation, but he would be salvation of the entire world, people of every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. This is the one to whom God had spoken to Abraham when he promised the patriarch's heirs would bless all nations. This is the one whom God spoke to David when he promised that monarch that his kingdom would be everlasting. This is the one of the prophets who spoke as they called him the lion of the tribe of Judah, a suffering servant, a conquering king. Yes, Simeon had met Jesus, and Simeon was now ready to die in peace. His bucket list was finally fulfilled. He had accomplished all that he wanted to in life. Now, death, of course, is somewhat of a strange subject, especially during this Christmas season. It doesn't make for a heartwarming holiday entertainment, but Simeon knew that he could face death, something every one of us will face one day, because he had met the one who had conquered death. There's so much for us to learn about Simeon's life. His perseverance is attentive listening to God in a cynical age as we live in a cynical age. And that is we're to worship Jesus Christ. He worshiped that baby Jesus. We worship a crucified Savior who rose again. But what is most important about Simeon and about you and about me is his relationship with Jesus Christ. Simeon could die not because he checked off the religious boxes or performed all the outward rituals of the Jewish faith or they completed his bucket list, but because his faith within that God-man, God who dwelt among us, who took on flesh. As we reflect on this, I can't help and wonder and pray that we, too, will have peace with God because of the Savior. Yes, you and I, like Simeon, can be unafraid of death because we know and understand that the baby is the triumphant and conquering Jesus whose own death and resurrection defeated sin, death in the grave. Don't misunderstand. Simeon wasn't seeking to die, and neither should we. But there's a sweet assurance knowing that when the time comes, when our time comes, whether it's tomorrow, 50 years, or 100 years from now, we can face death with peace because we know the Prince of Peace. Now, in my experience, the people who are most full of life, who walk through every day with joy and energy, are those who are most at peace with their own mortality, who understand that this baby in the manger that we celebrate in Christmas, he's defeated the grave. And that's why Paul could say that his contentment in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Because either way, 
He has peace, and Christ is glorified. The central message of Christmas, no doubt today, as we conclude the warmth and the busyness of another December, we have and continue to enjoy the season. Let us remember, as we set time aside on a weekly basis, as believers, not merely together with family and share fellowship meals together, but to acknowledge the central truth of our Christianity, that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. This Jesus that Simeon knew wasn't an ordinary baby. He may not have understood precisely how it would all play out, nor did he fully grasp the, the mystery of God becoming human, but neither do we fully grasp that. But Simeon knew enough to know that Jesus would not only be was that long-awaited Messiah that every Jewish person longed for, but he would also be the light for the Gentiles, the light for all nations, the light for you and me. This is often repeated in the gospel narratives, the light of the Gentiles of Jesus' birth and Mary's song and Zachariah's praise and the words of the angel to Joseph. Jesus was and is the Savior of the entire world. And we need to understand this truth. Sometimes we're tempted to think that Jesus only came to save those who are like us, those who look like us, who talk like us, who smell like us. But the gospel is for all nations. We are told that the promise of Abraham in Genesis was passed down through the words of the prophets and onto the gospel narratives through the letters of Paul and into John's vision and revelation, that the kingdom of God is made up of people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. But let us not forget the tremendous cost of salvation. That day in the temple was the day of celebration and dedication, but Simeon's words were not all pleasant. And they weren't pleasant for Mary to hear, especially the proclamation in verse 35 when he says directly to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul. This is not what a new mother wants to hear. This is not what she thought about with motherhood. But Simeon knew that with the promise, it carried both joy and pain. It carried blessings and anguish. The baby Simeon, whom Simeon held, who cooed and kicked and delighted these young parents, would one day endure an unjust trial motivated by bloodthirsty crowds. The very people that he formed as a creator would laugh at him and his pain and his cries of pain. The world that he came to save would send him to his own death. And most of all, the father to whom he communed with with all eternity would see his son not as the pure and spotless lamb, but as the embodiment of all sin and anguish for the rebellious human race. Yeah, this sword was Mary's unique calling. One day she would kneel at the foot of an ugly Roman instrument of execution, a cross. One day she would weep with the others as they lay her son's body in a borrowed tomb. One day she would question fear and doubt the angel's promises, as we all do at times. But Simeon's words to Mary was rooted in the prophet's vision of a coming king that would both suffer and conquer. 
who would reign over the enemies and yet be pierced for the transgressions of his own people. This was why Christmas is wonderful and yet somewhat violent. Far from the sentimental holidays that we often celebrate, the kingdom of God was first to come through a violent death of the Son of God. Like Mary, like all those who believe, we could find hope in a baby that she held that would not only pay for the sins of those who nailed him to the cross, but he would defeat death at his resurrection. Her son would endure all this to reconcile sinners like herself, like Simeon, like you and like me, to God. Jesus' future glory would be our salvation and God's glory. And that takes us to the last point today. He was the first evangelist. Simeon was joined in his longing by another pilgrim. And like Simeon, we don't know much about Anna other than she was a prophet from the tribe of Asher. A prophet is simply Luke's way of telling us that she was gifted and unafraid to declare the word of the Lord. And when we think of a prophetic word, we often think of predictions, but often the prophets also proclaimed the truth for that day. But for Anna, it seems like her most important ministry was to show up in the temple every single day and remind God's people of God's words of promises and hope. When I think of Anna, I think of a steadfast courage. Here she is, a widow for much of her life, clinging to a distant promise, declaring that the good news to the people who were worn out and weary, and she did this every day for years. We see Anna show up at this ritual, this dedication of Jesus to God. And here it helps us to understand the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, which I had often mentioned. Because in the age of celebrity, even today, we assume that God works mostly among those who are gifted and famous. The church is built by the gifts of those who have the biggest social media followings or have the biggest congregations. But the church is primarily advances through this small group of believers who join together every week in dedication and worship to God. To people like ordinary people like you and like me who share God's word with one another. It's through those winding paths of the outcasts, the misfits, and the forgotten that we spoke about last week. You'll notice that nativity does contain a few nobles like the Magi, but most of those that are surrounded by Jesus' story are the common folk, the ordinary folk, those that live their lives day in and day out, that don't see much of an impact, but their lives living for the Lord creates a, a tremendous impact like Anna's did. Luke tells us that Anna was a constant presence in the temple. She fasted day and night, longing in anticipation for that Messiah. Anna fixed her eyes on God and attended the presentation of that Son of God, that ritual that day. And she proclaimed God's word. And she tells us the kind of people that God visits are those who wait for him day and night like Anna and like Simeon. As we reflect past on this year of 2023, it's been a pretty good year for most of us. We've had some people pass away. 
We've had some people with illness, but we've had some good times too. The love and the unity here at Putnam are strong and growing stronger. The attendance other than today has been ticking up throughout the year. And we see a bond there among the believers here. We see younger people in our services. It's been a blessed year for us here at Putnam. And as we look forward in hope and anticipation to 2024, let us continue to lift our hearts and voices to praise God for all he has done and will do in our lives. So the question as we end today, what's on your bucket list for next year, for the next decade, for the rest of your life? And regardless of what's on your bucket list, because we all have hopes and aspirations and dreams, like Simeon, let us wait in anticipation on Christ's coming to finalize God's kingdom to establish his global Eden here on earth. And like Anna, let us give thanks to God and tell others of Jesus Christ and our hope in him as God gives us opportunity. That should be our bucket list for 2024. And the other side of your bulletin insert today, I've included our final Advent study reflection. If you have time over the next two or three days, go through this and study a little bit deeper the story of two amazing individuals who we only have a few sentences about in, in God's word, but whose story has been told every year for over 2,000 years. Next week, we'll return to our study in Philippians focusing on joy and serving in a message titled Christ-like descent into greatness. So if you had time, please read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 in preparation for next week. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for Simeon and Anna. We thank you for their stories. We thank you that although we don't know much about them, we do know that they waited in anticipation for you coming as the Messiah the first time. Let us be like Anna and like Simeon. Tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ as we wait for Christ to return a second time to rule and to reign, to set up his global Eden for eternity, Father. Let us be hopeful and waiting in anticipation. And until then, Father, Whatever we have on our bucket list, Father, let us do for your honor and your glory that your name might be praised in all things. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly. Love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.